Welcome to the Soybean Pod, brought to you by South Dakota soybean farmers and their checkoff. I'm Tom Stever, discussing the incredible soybean, the people who grow it, and why that crop is so important. The South Dakota Soybean Yield Contest is much more than a friendly competition for yield bragging rights. The contestants are, after all, South Dakotans, so let's face it, there's not much outward bragging even for those with the best yields. The real value of the annual contest is in the data collected each year that, with expert analysis, helps improve yields in following years. In this edition of the Soybean Pod, we'll hear what agronomic traits most contribute to improvements in yield. My name is Cheryl Reese. I work at South Dakota State University. My official title there is Senior Lecturer. And during the school year, I teach a number of classes at South Dakota State University. I teach production classes, and one of the classes I teach is soybean production. Other jobs that I have uh, in the summertime, I help a lot of our graduate students with research. And I actually, some of our research projects, myself, organize farmer meetings and outreach to extend the research findings to the communities, to our farmers. I want to talk to you about yield and soybeans, the Soybean Yield Contest. What's important about the contest and how might it contribute to building yields? Uh, South Dakota Soybean Yield Contest, sponsored by South Dakota Soybean, my part of this is I've analyzed the data. I presented this data in you know, a couple different meetings over the summertime. The power in the contest is the fact that farmers contribute yield data from Beersford to Aberdeen. We have differences in soils, differences in the amount of sunlight. We get a data set not only across a geographic region, also across time. So each year can add, you know, some years are wetter, some years are drier. And so we can see what different traits and information that's collected in addition to yield, we can analyze that and figure out, okay, what factor may have contributed to yield in a dry year or in a wet year? I'm sure a lot of farmers would like to know exactly what they can do to uh, build a better yield. So what are the most important agronomic management traits to consider for getting optimal soybean yields? There's not just one trait that's going to be the best for everybody. The answer to that question, in my opinion, is precision farming and scouting your own fields. Everybody has different problems in their field. And our seed companies have varieties. They spend a lot of money, obviously, on breeding. And they're the experts in that area. If I have a white mold problem, the first thing I'm going to do is talk to my seed dealer about varieties that are more resistant to white mold. Soybean cyst nematode is the same deal. If I'm planting early in the springtime, I want soybeans that have a tough root system. So I may be looking at phytophthora-resistant genes. There's not just one trait that I'm going to tell you that has, so to speak, the silver bullet for yield. It's working with your agronomist, scouting your fields, keeping historical records of your fields, what are the problems, and then tailoring your genetics to each field based upon the characteristics that you've recorded. 
You mentioned SCN and you mentioned white mold. First, let's talk about SCN. What is the extent of the problem of soybean cyst nematode in South Dakota? So I'll, I'll take a, a stab at that, Tom. Before I do that, I'm going to make a statement that you know fertility is more my expertise. And this is more of our, you know, with South Dakota, a state with our pathologists and our entomologists. In visiting with farmers and different, some of our former students who are agronomists now, I do believe that we have more of a problem with SCN in the southern part of the state. I live around Brookings, South Dakota, and I know my neighbors are not as concerned about SCN as some of the research that we've actually done in the southeastern part of the state, where I do know they have much more difficult management issues with it. And then what about white mold? What's the extent of that? White mold is definitely a problem in the north, northern part of the state. Um, I'm very familiar with that. We have a number of different, uh, actually a couple different researchers at SDSU that are working on some white mold studies at South Dakota State University. The unique thing about white mold, I think, that a lot of farmers uh, may comment on is that we used to think was always a disease associated with more of a cooler wetter summer. But visiting with my neighbors back around Brookings and Bruce, South Dakota, it seems to be a problem even in these drier years. So let's talk about your area of expertise, fertility. Fertility in soybeans. So what issues are there as far as fertility in soybeans? For fertility in soybeans, just a little bit of a science background on yield. When we look at yield, one way to measure or determine fertility requirements for the soil is to look at crop removal. Soybeans remove actually more nitrogen than corn does from a crop, but soybeans are obviously a legume, so we don't fertilize them for nitrogen. The one, I would say, factor that's been studied quite a bit in the upper Midwest over the years is the fact that can we add a late-season application of nitrogen to soybeans and have a yield, beneficial yield bump. When we look at the yield, when we approach about 70 bushels an acre, that's when we start being concerned about the nodules on the soybeans aren't active all summer. And so when we walk out there in, say, in August, middle of August, and we pull a soybean plant up and we look at the nodules, if the nodules have started to turn gray, they're not active. A lot of yield can be developed yet in August because we're filling those pods. So that asks the question of 70 bushels, do I have enough nitrogen in the soil? Well, the studies that a lot of land-grant universities have done in the north-central states, we've seen sporadic, occasional yield improvement with an in-season N. The research that we've done within our research group, we have not ever seen a yield increase with a late-season N application. There's been also some research on saline soils. What can you tell me about that? Yes, so we have a, an active research group for the last probably, I'd say, seven or eight years within our research group at South Dakota State University where we've been looking at saline sodic soil management. The audience out there on this podcast, if you're from Huron or Spink County or Brown County, basically the Jim River Valley, even down to Mitchell, uh, you're probably going to be very familiar with alkaline soils or saline sodic soils. There are these white areas that develop out in the field, and obviously nothing grows there because of the high salt content. We've been working on a lot of management tactics over the last four or five years on those areas. 
a question we always get when we work with farmers is, well, I can typically find a corn variety that will do pretty good if the salts aren't too bad, but my soybeans always look bad. What can I do to improve my soybean yield in these areas? And throughout our research, we've kind of come to the conclusion that the best answer is to not plant soybeans because they don't tolerate saline sodic soil conditions very well. But let's expand on that a little bit, Cheryl. You had said earlier, maybe down the road you can if there are grasses planted there in the interim. Yes. And so farmers are in in the business to make money. Salty areas do not produce yield at all. Farmers still have to pay taxes on that ground as well, too. And so what we've done with some of the research is we've taken and returned these areas to perennial grasses, perennial salt-tolerant grasses. I think the question that we have to answer is, and it takes a while to establish these grasses. The first year, you're going to be fighting a lot of weeds. And usually by about the third year, you have a fairly decent establishment. If you have adequate average, maybe even to a little bit below average precipitation. And what those salt-tolerant grasses do, they're perennials, they have very deep roots, and they help keep the water table down, and they help keep those salts down. So the question now would be, like, after three years or four years, can I go back and put row crops in that area? And that's an area, actually, we're going to be studying, actually, this coming uh, spring, hopefully, with an area that did have the grasses. And now I'm probably going to work on breaking those grasses up and trying to return it to row crops and see what types of, you know, yields that we have to see if that could be a management tactic. Gets bad with salts. Do some salt-tolerant perennial grasses for three, four years. Perhaps go back and break that up or no-till into those grasses, you know, kill those grasses somehow, no-till back into those grasses, a crop, and then see what we have for yield. And I'm not, when I say no-till, I mean conventional tillage as well, but the other thing with the saline sodic soils is, is that if we can keep residue on the ground as well too or keep coverage, then we don't have evaporation bringing those salts up all the time. I'm curious, Cheryl, it seems that every year there are more acres of soybeans to the west and to the north in acreage where we had not previously seen soybeans. Am I just imagining this? If I'm not, what's the reason for it? I agree with that, your statement, Tom. When I was a kid, my mom grew up in western North Dakota, and we would drive from Morris, Minnesota, you know, across Aberdeen, and there were never any soybeans there. And so your statement, I agree with your statement. And uh, the reason why we have soybeans are expanding north and west, I think we can thank our seed companies. The genetics that they are, you know, developing, we're planting soybeans, relative maturities, you know, zeros, you know, zero zeros all the way up into Canada now. And so when it comes to soybeans, if you're going to produce yield, you have to produce biomass. And to produce biomass, we need sunlight. And so now we have varieties that can produce a yield that is going to be profitable for a farmer with a shorter growing season, less sunlight as we go farther north in latitude. That is a thank you to our seed companies, in my opinion. Let's talk more about sunlight. I often talk to producers who say the early planted soybeans are the ones that do the best. Does that have to do with sunlight? 
It does. In fact, I followed a couple fields this summer up in my area, a field that was planted early and a field that was planted a little bit later. You go out there and you count nodes. Nodes equals yield because nodes equals pods. So the more nodes I have on a soybean plant, the more potential I have to set flowers and to set pods. And as we went through the growing season, the early planted field had a greater number of nodes than the later planted field. But I also do think, too, that planting date, to some extent, in South Dakota is very much so dictated by the weather. And the reason I will mention that is that when soybeans flower, that's when we have the infection process start for white mold. And so it's all dependent upon weather, in my opinion. I I do agree that if I'm going to plant soybeans and I want to push my yield, I'm going to plant early, I'm going to plant a higher relative maturity, you know, like a a 2, you know, my my area by Brookings at 1.8 or a 2, something like that. If I'm going to plant into June, I'm probably not going to be planting a 1.8 or a 2 by Brookings, South Dakota, you know, in end of May and June, okay? Those Longer relative maturities have more time for biomass, collect sunlight, set nodes, produce pods, produce yield. But if when I planted that field early, it so happens to coincide with a precipitation event that starts the growth of white mold in my field, then maybe my later planted field may have a higher yield if I cannot control that white mold. So there's many factors involved with yield in soybeans. And the one thing we can't control is the weather. One thing we can control, we can control management for white mold to some extent. Early planted beans, yes, will yield higher if we don't have issues with white mold, especially in northeastern South Dakota. Let's concentrate a little bit on the 2023 crop. I have consistently heard from South Dakota soybean growers that yields this year were better than expected. I just talked to a producer who said he had had the best yields ever. But that, of course, is weighed against most producers having endured at least some degree of drought. But they saw yields that they didn't think that they would see this year. What do you think is behind that? Well, I think I can't just nail down one factor, honestly. I do think that we had some timely rains in some areas. Now, some people did not get timely rains. I understand that. But once again, when we look at agronomy today, corn, soybeans, wheat, sunflower, I mean, we've had years and years of breeding genetics again. And so our seed companies are breeding varieties that are specific for our areas in South Dakota, for our moisture patterns, uh, different from moisture patterns in southern Minnesota or in Iowa. And uh, looking at our diseases, I think that we had a drier year. Maybe we didn't have as many disease issues with white mold. I mean, white mold can get, obviously, and I know a lot of farmers in northern South Dakota that have fought it for many years with the wet years. Uh, A lot of farmers have even gone away from growing soybeans up there. So drought, you know, dry year, adequate yield, good yield with some of our growers, excellent yield. It goes back to varieties. I think agronomic management I think our South Dakota farmers working with their agronomists here in South Dakota, I think that's a a force to be reckoned with, in my opinion, because it's education and 
planting the right variety for that field, matching, goes back to what we start, talked about in the beginning, Tom, matching the genetics for your situation. Our farmers are really good at that. And I think that the years are beginning to show that now in the fact that we're yielding better each year with our soybean varieties. South Dakota, it's increasing each year, our overall average yield is. We have talked about what brings on good yields. What are yield killers? Well, uh, poor management, obviously. I think that one thing that we haven't discussed at all is weeds. And I am not a weed scientist. That's going to be for other people that are more knowledgeable in herbicide chemistry than I am. But I do know that we have a number of herbicide-resistant weeds in South Dakota. And we have new tools in our toolbox, thanks to, once again, genetics and our seed companies to help manage some of these issues. So um, I've seen a few weedy fields around, even in southern Minnesota and just around, that we've had some weed escapes. And so that's going to be something that's always going to rob yield significantly. Other factors, in my opinion, would be, say, for example, I'm combining a field. And this area every year has typically been my better yielding area for soybeans. And I'm going through that field, and, you know, a couple years ago, it was a good year, um, moisture-wise, temperature-wise. I managed my disease. And I come through that area, so good yielding area, and it's like, well, it just seems to have fallen off a little bit. Once again, you've got to go back and start looking at SCN. Has SCN come into your area? Because, like, SCN is kind of a silent yield robber where you won't necessarily see above-ground traits with the yellowing of the soybeans before you have a pretty severe SCN population you've got to try to control. Tell me a little bit about your background. You are uh, from Minnesota, but tell me more about your background in agriculture. My background in agriculture, uh, well, I grew up on a family farm in West Central Minnesota. The farm is located between, for the people from Minnesota, by Hancock, Minnesota, actually. I grew up with cattle. I grew up with a hunting club. And uh, we still operate the family farm in West Central Minnesota. My brother still operates the farm. What got you interested in agronomy? I guess I, uh, honestly, I have an undergraduate degree in biology and chemistry. And I also, I went to school to be a teacher, science teacher. But I decided I wanted to pursue a master's degree before I did that. I did my master's degree actually in horticulture at University of Minnesota. And I thought that I would enjoy living in a metropolitan area, but I honestly hated it. (laughs) And so I decided that I was going to get back into agronomy. After I did complete my master's degree in horticulture, I actually ended up at an ARS ag research station and doing agriculture research. And then that led to my position here in South Dakota. So, And then that's where I guess I ended up in South Dakota working in agronomy. Sounds like you're pretty busy, but what do you do in your off hours? What are your hobbies? Well, I'm married and I have two sons. I love to fish, so fishing is something that I really enjoy doing. Ice fishing, not so much, but I enjoy catching fish all over northeastern South Dakota. I enjoy camping and hiking with my family. I enjoy going back to the farm in Minnesota and working there and helping out. And I enjoy hunting, too. I don't hunt as much as I used to. I'm going to actually pick it up more now, I think, again, with my boys and my husband. But I would have to say that if I have any free time, I want to be fishing. You had mentioned northeastern South Dakota. Are there uh, what fisheries are the go-to for you? 
Hmm. Well, I don't. I don't know if a good fisherman actually tells you know, answers that question honestly. I was wondering if you might be cagey about that. <laughs> Big stone is that in there? Yeah, Big Stone is it. I mean, I think South Dakota Game Fishing Park does an excellent job maintaining our fisheries, in my opinion. Anybody that fishes up there in those northeast lakes, there's a number of them that are really good. I don't think anybody really is ever disappointed fishing a lot of those lakes if add the one statement if they know what they're doing. If they know what they're, they're doing. doing. Is there anything that I left out of here, Cheryl, that you would like to add? I guess the thing that I would like to add to this podcast is I'm working with South Dakota Soybean on analyzing the yield contest data. In closing, I guess I'd like to say a big thank you to the farmers in South Dakota that participate in the yield contest. Because the yield contest, we do it every year. We can build a temporal database, as well as I mentioned earlier, a geographic database across from Beersford, Sioux City, down in that all the way up to the North Dakota border, from Minnesota almost out to the river now, and even past the river. When we look at the data and the information that they collect about the field, like the planting date, the fungicide application, the insecticide, that creates a powerful database in which we can take a look at what type of trends are helping our farmers in South Dakota grow more bushels per acre for soybeans. That's more money in the pocket for them. And so it's thank you to the farmers of South Dakota that participate in the yield contest because it helps build the database and helps us become better at managing soybean yield in South Dakota. So that the soybean yield contest might be that rising tide that raises all boats? I think it contributes, contributes significantly. But I also said too, you know, made a statement earlier that, you know, our farmers in South Dakota are very knowledgeable. We have our agronomists working in tandem with them. It's a science. Raising soybeans and corn now is a science. There's many facets to the science, many uh, factors that you need to be managing constantly and on the go. So it's a system, and I guess I'll just leave it at that. Cheryl, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to talk about the yield contest and the results. South Dakota State University Soybean Production Senior Lecturer, Cheryl Reese. The Soybean Pod. Covering this incredible crop, those who grow it, and the many ways it's used is available wherever you get your podcasts and at sdsoybean.org. Brought to you by South Dakota Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. We're also on the air on the South Dakota Soybean Network. Thank you for listening. I'm Tom Stever. Stever.